All right. Welcome to the Gut Check Project. This is episode number 23. You're here with your host, Kenneth Brown, MD, and I'm Eric Rieger. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what we got going on, Ken. Well, well we're um, like always, we're trying to push some boundaries. And one of the things that I see as a doctor is that I want to make sure that my patients are very healthy, both mind and body. And whenever my patients come up and they're going through a stressful situation, they manifest it in their guts. And one of the most common things I see that I can't help them, which is why we brought our guests on today. That's right is that when people go through financial trouble or when they're stressed out about their money, they can manifest in their guts. They show up with all kinds of stuff. So they end up at a gastroenterologist's office, mm. and I can't give them any real advice on their finances and how to help them with that. So like we always do with the Gut Check Project, let's bring them in, let's check our egos at the door, and let's learn a little bit. We got some experts here with us today, and that is Mr. Patrick Brewer and Mr. Tim Power, both Howdy. of SurePath Well. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming up all the way, 35, to Dallas from Austin. How y'all doing today? It was a joy. Well, we didn't die, yeah. so that's the first step. They <laughs> made good time on a rainy Thursday morning. Now, that being said, I know that uh, you said we didn't die, but Tim said, but if you would have, your family would have been covered. <laughs> they would have been covered, yeah. At least $3 million. Maybe more. <laughs> Maybe more than I don't know. So SurePath Wealth, Wealth Management, it's far more than just taking care of someone's finances, correct? Yeah. I mean, the way we think about it, it's similar to, to being a doctor, right? I mean, you have a holistic approach and you want to solve the person's problem. And sometimes they present with one issue that they think is really important. You know, they may have some issues with their, their stomach or, you know, I'm not even going to pretend to know exactly all the things that people could present with. I'm sure there's some, some strange ones out there, but they present with a particular problem and they, th you know, that's what the pro that's the problem that they think they need to have solved. But in reality, it's, it's more than that. There's other things that are contributing to the the initial problem and, and making it worse. So our, our role, similar to a physician, I, I think, is to lay all the pieces of the puzzle, puzzle on the table and then start to assemble them and really get to know what's driving our clients and the, or, or, or people in general and just figure out what their motivations are and what they're trying to accomplish. And then once we have a good sense of that, just putting it all together and hopefully solving the problem. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I, I mean, like people come to you, people come to me with very intimate problems. People come to you guys with similar issues. Yeah. They, when people, somebody shows up to your office, they're saying, I'm going to give you my world, the world, much like the, um, the great prophet Kanye West said, <laughs> money isn't everything, but not having it is. And so when you get to the point where they're like, look, I've, got this, what can I do to grow it? What can I do to not lose it? That is one of the most vulnerable things. Slightly less vulnerable than somebody taking their pants down and let me stick their finger in their butt. I don't know. I mean, I think it's about equal. Now. <laughs> <laughs> For some people, that can be really stressful. There's some. There's a lot of shame around money. Uh, there's, it's a very intimate discussion because you don't know in the beginning of the conversation what their experiences have been. Maybe they've made some poor decisions in the past and they're reluctant to admit those. Maybe there's some controversy with them and their spouse. They could view money differently, the way they were raised and the way that they um, think about money in general, about how they could use it in their life or even their preferences for what they're going to do with it in retirement or when they pass away. You know, do they want to leave a legacy? Do they not? So there's all these embedded psychological and emotional factors that go into how people interact and make decisions about their money. And the first step 
similar to being a physician, I think, is to peel back the onion a little bit and see what are what are the driving forces here that, that are actually contributing. I want to get into all that. Eric, can you explain, actually, that it isn't exactly like we just bumped into you guys on the street. Can you give a little history as to why we have these two super smart guys here on the show? Sure. So we are part of a mastermind group, and uh, Tim and Patrick both happen to be a part of it. The reason why we joined that entrepreneur group is we're all aligned from the same orientation that we want to be able to serve our fellow man the best way possible for us through healthcare. It's how do we reduce stress and increase health for y'all? It really is just, as you said, Patrick, it's a holistic approach to managing your own wealth and finances. And the great thing that I've seen and learned from both of y'all over the course of the last year is you treat your clients like family because this isn't an opportunity to shame someone with their previous financial troubles, et cetera. The thing I found really interesting though, is you and I have talked over the last several episodes and over the last several years about how can you help someone reduce their external stressors, right? Mm. Because by having that, you lead to insomnia, you lead to catecholamine uh, circulation from high stress situations. So we've talked about people that regularly see a doctor usually end up decreasing chance of disease. They they come in to see a gastroenterologist, they're usually not going to have a polyp that turns into a cancer because it'll be detected. So what I found kind of interesting is someone who turns to someone for wealth management actually has less potential to gamble. They actually are better prepared for their financial future, obviously reducing stress. So they reduce stress. They reduce their risk of bankruptcy regardless of their income level. And then obviously their family conflict is reduced. I don't remember what the crazy stat is, but it's well over 70% of marital strife comes and originates from some element of financial problems or disagreements in the first place. Simply by having someone, and I, I didn't have someone tell me when I was younger, simply by having someone help you forecast and help you put your money where it would serve you better will ultimately reduce your stress and work out better for you and your family. So that's how we met SurePath. I think we just met on the side of the highway, <laughs> well no one knows because you muted your mic Patrick. i did mute my mic i said i think we met on the side of a highway but i guess maybe we met at a well i mean it I mean, and eric said i was stupid for standing on the side of a highway with a sign that said i'm looking for better than eight percent yield yeah and you stopped and went <laughs> let's talk because and i said also i'm looking to diversify my risk by hiring 20 advisors. And you're like, nah, let's have a little talk. Yeah. So one of the things that I was really impressed with is you gave a lecture at the conference we were at. I did. And I, I wrote down a few notes, which was really very interesting to me because everyone tries to outsmart the market. Everyone tries to do this stuff. We want to invest in America. We're America. America. We're Americans. And you said several different things, which were really interesting, like have percentage of stocks in the stock market that is outside of America. Can you get into some of the stuff you talked about in the lecture? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, with investing, there's so much that you can do. And what I found is that investments, that they're, they're kind of like a bar of soap. The more you handle them, the less you're going to have uh, at the, the highest level. And Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And a lot of physicians, they they overcomplicate things. So the biggest thing that I've seen is uh, the desire to have passive income, which I think is great. You should pursue passive income. You work really hard and you should have investments that are working on your behalf when you're asleep and you're not having to trade your time for dollars or scale up really complicated, like multi-specialty surgery centers. Like there's, there's ways to generate passive income that um, put you in a position later on where you don't have to work as hard, 
But what I've what I've seen is in our industry, when you start to take things that are really complex, um, different investment processes that could be really complex, and you start to layer them into your portfolio, you start to drive up expenses, you start to drive up something called turnover, which increases your taxes, and you start to drive up your tax and your legal bills because then people have to figure out what the heck is going on uh, in order to give you advice. So what I've found is that most people, uh, physicians or otherwise, would be best served by starting with owning every single company in the entire world. You know, a lot of people just focus on the companies in the United States and they're like, well, I own a couple stocks or I own, you know, the S&P 500. And when we think about the markets, we, we always ask like, well, how's the S&P doing? How's the Dow doing? Well, the Dow is only 30 companies and the S&P is only 500, but there's over 12,000 stocks all around the world. And what most people don't realize is that only 44% of the global market cap is in the US. There's actually more stocks available outside of the United States. And there's a lot of um, benefits to holding securities that move differently during different periods of time. So we, we generally talk to people about international and even emerging markets investments as a way to increase their returns, potentially diversify and, and uh, expose themselves to different areas of the, the, the world that might move uh, in, in different directions in the U.S. I just want to make sure that we get Tim in the picture here. Oh, he, yeah. was, he, he keeps leaning back further and further. <laughs> Sorry, so. relaxing back there. Listen <laughs> Um, good tea. I, it's, uh, yeah, this is actually really good. Well, stuff. let's talk yeah. about that real quick. So what do you think about this tea that we've had here? I think I burped three times. And I <laughs> yeah, this is really good. I quit drinking beer three years ago and I love the taste of this because it tastes, tastes like, like a, a beer. Yeah. yeah it's it got the like same carbonation. Yeah. There's not a drop of alcohol in it so whatsoever. Good. It's tea with, um, with some hops in there. Thanks to Lovich for yeah. Introducing us. Boulder's finest too, right? Yeah, they're they're still, out of Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So as somebody who tried, so I have my own company, Atrantil, Atrantil, go to lovemytummy.com slash Spoonie still, or are we doing? We are. All right. Mm. Lovemytummy.com slash Spoonie or go to KBMD Health for your CBD. Um, so as somebody who is a physician that has tried to raise money, for a startup, yeah, I was hard. a little bit shocked. And then when you and I talked a little bit, where you mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, well, physicians tend to do some of the most esoteric investments and not be, not actually uh, tend to be patient and do exactly what you're saying. Just invest mm -hmm. in every company in the entire world, and eventually you will win yeah. in the long run." So when I was over there out there trying to raise money, I'm like, "This is an opportunity. Yes, it's a startup, but it's in a field you know. It's oh, a it. you know we can sit there and do this, and we can grow it." I was absolutely shocked at the conversation that I had most of the time was I would love to, but I lost 50 grand on an emu farm. I tried to do, you know, I did, lost money in three restaurants and I'm like, what are you doing in the restaurant? By the time doctors get asked to do investments and stuff like that, I pretty much think the good money's already out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you're like an early mover, you have control in most private investments, the people making the money are the, the managers of the private investment. I mean, if you think about it, right, they've put together a deal and on, on average, if you just take private real estate in this example, right, you have private real estate investments, there's actually huge public real estate funds and the public real estate funds have way better liquidity. They have the same types of properties on average. They're better diversified because they have properties across different geographies and different scopes. Um, buying power. Buying power. Way um, more. And they're, they're mark to market. So they trade every single day. So you have full liquidity on that. But if you take a private real estate investment, it sounds a lot sexier. Like I buy private real estate and I get an eight to 10% rate of return. 
But what you don't realize is it's not repriced every single day. It's not liquid. And the people that are managing it are charging you a pretty significant management fee for finding and sourcing these properties and managing them. And yes, you may get a good rate of return, but why would you expect a different rate of return in a private investment versus a public investment in real estate? It doesn't make any sense to me. So what I've found is that our industry, and this is not the physician's fault, our industry has done a good job of manufacturing products that sound really good, that are actually available in a much lower cost, more liquid environment, but it's not as sexy. So if you don't really understand exactly how the markets work and how returns are created and what a fair return is, you can get sucked into these schemes. And these schemes are what keep you locked in your seat, having to trade your time for money. So I love entrepreneurialism. I love what you guys are doing here. It's a fantastic product. I take it myself. I, I think the, the key is figuring out what lane you want to be in, right? And how much money is enough? Like what, at what point can you say, I can, if I produce this amount of income, I can relax and maybe relax to, to you or any other physician or person listening is I want to go out and build more companies. Well, that's great. Well, at least now you have a, a passive income stream that's coming in to allow you to do that where you don't feel like you have to put your foot on the gas if you're not really feeling up to it. So I love entrepreneurialism. I think if you're a physician and you're called to continue to build companies and to continue to create jobs and do those things, that's absolutely where you should put your time, your energy, and your money. You just want to make sure that you don't get pulled into some type of a scheme that isn't really designed to enrich you. It's designed to enrich someone else. I think the, during your lecture, the way you describe that is first achieve stability, then go for growth. Yep. Yeah. You want to, you want to figure out a baseline. You want to know, you want to make sure that you're protected. Uh, you have a sufficient asset protection in place. It could be insurance. It could be uh, estate planning, trust, the things of those nature. And then it's really like, what, what's the baseline living expenses for you to be able to be okay. And then after that, you can take, you know, strategic investments in growth. And that might be in yourself. It might be in your business. It might be in the markets. It might be in real estate. A lot of it just depends on your preferences as far as how hands-on you want to be. Yeah. Let me throw this to Tim. So we, at that same meeting, several questions. So the thing I like, let's get back to why, um, I think doctors don't do this, which is the same reason why people come to me. And at times I'm like, why didn't you come to me sooner? Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm whatever. Like it's embarrassing to sit down with people and I'm, I'm technically a highly educated person. I went to school a long time. Doesn't mean I'm highly educated. No, it doesn't. I didn't go to. I didn't, I didn't go to Texas Tech, so I'm already starting lower than everybody else. Yep. It's not your and fault. So, I know. I just... You, so, were, you were born in Lubbock, but you ran away. I know. So, you know, had I, had I been gifted to be able to go to Texas Tech, things would be different. I wouldn't be on a <laughs> podcast right now. Yeah, you could yeah. be the yeah. sidekick like me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell us, Toadie. Toadie. <laughs> so, um, but it, it, is, it is really interesting because I would... I'm embarrassed that I have this, you know, whatever, however many years of education. And I am going to say, should I get whole life? What the heck is whole life? What is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, simple things like that, that yeah. to you is like no big deal. Well, but, it is. I mean, it took me years to figure out what was behind the curtain of some of these products that Patrick was talking about earlier. I mean, they, there's this incredible sales training to get folks into these products that seem very good for your family. Uh, you're protecting your family. You're doing all these great things. But there's all sorts of underlying fees and costs and limitations to accessing that money. And so I think a lot of times we, uh, we get products pitched at us. They sound like they solve a number of problems with one deal. So it's great, you know, because I don't have the time to deal with 15 different things. So perfect. This one thing does it all. 
And, uh, and then you don't even know really what you're in or why you're in it. 10 years later, you're like, what happened to this thing? You know, and it's, yeah, so it just, it's not part of a plan always. It's got to, you know, planning has to be part of a plan, just like diet does. So, yeah. Uh, whether or not you should have whole life or term life or universal life, I mean, it really just comes down to what your needs are, how much money you want to put away. If you've already maxed out all these other areas, maybe you can use some. But it's also a great tool for like estate planning or tax preservation and things like that because insurance offers immediate leverage. It kind of buys you time to build up $10 million in assets. You can just buy a policy for $10 million and you're immediately worth that. Explain right? that a little bit. Yeah. So, Insurance uh, offers an incredible benefit. I mean, if if it if you are your life right now as a physician, you have uh, what I would call a massive human capital. So if we were to look at a pie chart, look, of your dude, life, I'm yeah. trying to lose some weight. I don't really <laughs> yes. consider yes. myself. Yes. Really. I mean, so I'm like, working on it. I mean, stressed. I got several companies. You can barely fit. <laughs> you know, I got a I got a great solution, but uh, yeah. So no, the um, so your life is part of your investments, and you're a big part of that because you have a human capital. You have a big investment in you, and so that's a risk right there. So the rest of your portfolio should be weighted appropriately because you don't need to take on a ton of risk because you have a risky profession and uh, you could have all sorts of liabilities in there. So we look at the whole picture and if you needed to protect that risk of your human capital, what it's worth, call it 10, 20, uh, $30. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you, and you uh, I wish. And you, give, give me at least 45, 45. And, and you, know, you pass away young and you leave your wife and children on the lurch and they don't have all that future income coming in. You could have solved that problem by buying a life insurance policy and just immediately having a, you know, a $3 million policy sitting outside. The, or 10 the, million. The, pro the problem is like when you're first coming out of school and you're really busy and you're trying to do a million different things and you get approached by someone who tries to use a product in order, as Tim said, to solve your problems. And then you get a bad taste in your mouth because you're like, wow, I bought this product and it didn't work for me. Been there. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's not really the, the physician's fault and it's not really the financial services person's fault. It's the system. The system manufactures this because you have someone who's really busy, a lack of attention, and they believe that everyone else is about is as out to help, which is the physician, because that's they're out to help generally, right? So they project that image onto other industries. And then you have the financial services industry, which is originally created to monetize people's lack of attention, mm. right? So they find people that monetize people's lack of attention. So yeah, they don't have what, the time to dig into these things. And yeah. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like I'm busy. You know, give me a product, and you're like, okay, yep. like, we'll manufacture something for someone who's busy who doesn't want to do the due diligence yeah. and doesn't want to do the hard things. Right. The way I I think about it is, you know, going to the gym and lifting weights consistently and eating healthy versus getting the steroid shot. To me, products are kind of like the steroid shot mm. in most cases. It's like I don't want to do the hard things, like have conversations with my wife. I don't want to think about where I'm going to be in 15 or 20 years. I don't really want to think about, you know, saving for my kids college. Just like, give me the steroid shot and I'll be on my way. And then 10 years later, you didn't step foot in the gym and you're like, man, I'm all kind of chunky and I don't look good. It's like, yeah, man, you just took steroids and you didn't go to the gym. Like, mm. of course you're going to look bad, but it's, it's kind of like, it, it's an unfortunate situation that, that has really transpired between, um, you know, the medical field and then financial services. But I think we're starting to come full circle. And yeah. the reason why is there's a lot of really great financial advisors and wealth managers. And a lot of them are kind of hiding in secret because there's so many advisors out there that say they're financial advisors, but there's a collective group, I would call it about 40,000 around the country that are CFPs and use fancy words like fiduciary, um, you know, and, and they really take into account everything that's going on in someone's situation. 
So if you're lucky enough to meet one of those folks, it's usually a little bit later in life after you've kind of had one of those situations where somebody's kind of burned you with a product. Um, but at that point, you know, you're able to slow down and create enough space. And both of the parties at that point are in a position where they can really help each other. What about for someone who isn't trying to bridge the gap between a high uh, income level such as medical and still knows that they need to uh, seek wealth management or financial management, or they happen to be coming right out of school and they haven't even put together anything. How do they find someone to turn to? That's a challenge. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's a really great question. There's a couple organizations that I'd recommend people check out. Um, there's one, it's called NAPFA, um, NAPFA.org, I believe it's uh, national national association of financial something. Um, but they're, all advisors that have been vetted out. They're generally fee only. They uh, tend to do what is in the best interest of the client. So I'd say that's a really good starting point. Um, but choosing an advisor is it's kind of like choosing a doctor, right? You got your bedside manner. That's really important. It's hard to evaluate that through a website, you know, or through credentialing. You know, I feel like trust is a fairly simple equation. Um, you know, I've read it in a book. It was a couple of years ago, but it stuck with me. And I think this holds true for any service-based profession, but trust is really credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. And if you're a physician and you're only prescribing one, one drug, let's say, you know, you have a very high level of self-orientation because let's say that you get kickbacks for that drug. I know you guys, and this doesn't have, it's not common practice and practice at all in your industry, but in our industry, like maybe, maybe somebody is, maybe somebody only has one or two products, right? So they have a very high level of self-orientation, which makes it a lot harder for them to build trust or to sustain trust. So I think it's really, um, taking into account based on your interactions with, with that advisor or that doctor, like, are you picking up signs of credibility? Are you picking up signs that these people are going to be reliable? And then also, are they doing a good job of asking you good questions and understanding what drives you and like, you know, how you think and what you want, right. And creating that intimate relationship. Well, you, you bring this up, but it's always like, like everything, it's a two way street. So describe to me, both of you, your ideal client. Yeah. I mean, I think it's your ideal partner. Because yeah, it's yeah, really because at that point yeah. it's no longer a client. We we should be partners in this situation. Yeah, and and Tim, you can answer this as well. But I would say for for me and Tim, Tim and I, I think every person is a little bit different in our industry. I really like significance driven people that want to do something be bigger than just provide for themselves. So whether that's their family or they want to build a business to help others, or they have charitable endeavors or legacy goals that they they want to nurture over time. Those type of people light me up because there's more opportunities for advanced planning. There's more opportunities to have discussions about things that are really going to help them. And frankly, it's just better for the world, right? There's more humans that we can help if we have bigger visions. So I'm, I'm kind of a big vision guy. And then I use financial services as, as my vehicle to be able to help folks. Um, so that for me, that's kind of my ideal client. But I know, I mean, I consult with hundreds of advisors around the country and one of and I have a similar podcast to this focused on the financial services industry but every advisor is a little bit different you know some I talk to and they're like hey man I feel really called to serve widows and others are like you know I really like uh, people that are getting close to retirement because I feel like I'm great at retirement income and I can counsel those people as you know the markets go up and down so I think a lot of it just comes down to like what's your frequency like what what type of people really light you up and for me it's kind of that significance driven person yeah, I would say very similar in a lot of ways, but it's uh, almost like the law of attraction, if that's such a thing, but where you feel like you're finding other people that are in a similar spot in life, but you can add a lot of value to them just through your knowledge. 
So I've, I've always kind of looked at the relationship side of things and just going deep with people and kind of hanging in there. And I feel like uh, similar to Pat, like I do this as a mechanism to be able to stay in touch with so many different people and then continue to stay relevant, and help them and just win that trust. And it's like the, the financial aspects of it and what we make off it. It's of course, it's there. Of course, you're always thinking like, hey, we have some things we'd like to pay off debt, get a bigger office. All these different things are, of course, we're human, uh, help the children, you know, all those things. But it's very much more about the relationship and seeing those uh, the trust build and then helping them and then making a big difference and seeing their accounts doing what they're supposed to do and there's tax savings in line with what they want to do and it's just i don't know it's kind of a anyone that's willing to be open to advice and values that but also sees it as deeper than that those are the people i like working that's with. actually how eric and i started working together hmm. i mean one of the things one of the bonds that we you have is like that, that we're both well dude we're i mean we're both really into being dads mm-hmm. yeah and i knew that eric was really into his children yeah. When I went to his house one time and his son Gage was on a unicycle and Mac was juggling um, like these these flame things. They weren't lit yet. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, in case since he is in the same boat as me where there's lots of risk and if he dies, the family's dependent on it. He's like, I'm not going to leave my family destitute. These kids will learn a circus skill before I get out of here. And that's when I realized we're, we're on the same boat. We're going to take care of our families. We were in the middle of building the uh, spinning knife throwing wheel. That's good. And that's amazing. It's just, it, well, it is amazing. Thanks, Tim. Because <laughs> what we do, uh, our side hustle as a family is circus acts. And uh, yeah, it is awesome. Thanks. So. Anyway, but that just shows it's similar things. So now this is why I thought we could have you guys on. You don't have to do that anymore. You can actually get insurance. Yeah. To help yeah. with that. Yeah, we lost, we lost so a couple. So now you have to admit to being psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, but, and we, we uh, got a cousin lost a few digits last week, but other than that, it's, it's okay. It's incredible. It. Well, go ahead. Well, there, the other really thing, uh, the thing that you talked about in your lecture, the other really thing, that's good. That's good English right there. Solid Solid grammar. Solid. The other thing that really impressed me with your lecture was the fact that you, when you deal with clients, a lot of times um, the spouse is not involved. Mm. And, you know, we'd already discussed that financial issues can be a real stressor on, on spouses. And, and I was thinking about that this morning. I went to an article on Investopedia where, Spouses don't just dis- the, the six things that are not discussed that you should discuss with your wealth manager, mine, yours, ours. Have you actually discussed what is what mm. actual debt didn't even dawn on me that like people hide debt and then get married and it's like, surprise, it's here crazy. it is. Yeah. Uh, personality type saver versus spender power play children. Do you know that it costs $233,610 to raise a child right now to the age of 18? It's a bargain. Yeah. That doesn't sound anywhere close. (laughs) I was like, I think I spent 233,000 on tennis trips last year. Yeah. No, I did not. That's being sarcastic. (laughs) They start making bad decisions can get even worse. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It doesn't say after 18 what that comes to. All right. All right. You caught me, Patrick. I bet on my kid and I lose a lot. So (laughs) you're right. It's okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, But it's funny. And then the thing that really hit me on this is extended family. So at my age, I'm in this sort of sandwich situation where I've got my mother and uh, my my father's passed away. My father-in-law passed away. I've got my mother-in-law and I've got my kids. And you start looking at this and you're like, oh, this is um, you're starting to feel a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And this is gets thrown into your guys's laps. And so I was very impressed when you said, no, you got to sit down and just wow. Talk about being vulnerable. Yeah. Saying, look, 
this is everything I have going on right now. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Tim, do you want to take that? I mean, I feel like yeah. you've done a great job. With it, a lot of it's it. huge. I mean, I, I think um, pulling, we really don't move forward in a planning relationship unless the wife is on board or, or the significant other in that matter. So we just make sure of that because even when you get the hard charging entrepreneur type that we're working with and they're, they, they think in their mind like, no, no, my spouse doesn't want anything to do with this. And and guys and girls, I mean, it's sometimes the woman driving, sometimes the guy driving it and their spouse is either taking the care of the kids, hanging out, doing other things. They just don't want to be involved. But then you get the spouse talking and you start finding out all sorts of stuff. They just helped their mom who went through hospice. She had Alzheimer's. She was alive 17 years with Alzheimer's. So it was this long drawn out you know, event that they had to take care of. So she's got a whole different set of priorities and fears and thoughts about money. And the other person, the other spouse might not even be thinking that. They're just so focused on on uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing that it, um, they, you know, they, they forget to pull them in. And so it's important to make sure everyone's on the same page. And then it's a real holistic plan. And then that way you're making sure that everything's covered and that they have legacy, they have charities they want to give to. And you're making sure that the spouse is pulled in on that. So it's yeah. a big piece. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is making sure that you're accounting for both sides of that, that sandwich, right? You know, it's easy to not think about the future and just live in the present and not realize what's eventually going to happen. And it's like, we've had a lot of issues where, you know, we've encountered people too late in the cycle and they're like, oh, my parents are moving in with me. And we're like, Okay. Well, I mean, based on the projections, I don't think there's a whole lot you're going to be able to do if you want to actually provide care for them. It's going to have to be you because they didn't make the decision early enough on in their life to get something to protect them. Is that a really common thing that you're seeing? I mean, it's starting it's, to become a little yeah, more. Yeah, because people are just living longer at this point. And part of the challenge is long term care is not a product that people want to buy. You know, it's not like a, again, it's not like even a plan sexy for it product. all. You yeah. don't want to think about someone like, pulling you out of never, bed. I could never lose one of my five, you know, core yeah. abilities, right? You we know? hear guys say it all the time. Oh, my long term care plan is a boat without an anchor or something. And I'm like, what? And, you know, it's just a very yeah. bad idea of what it is. Well, it just sounds dangerous and silly. It does yeah. sound dangerous for anyone. <laughs> That's not to go off on a tangent, but yeah. that is something that I'm very interested in because when we discuss lifespan versus health span. Mm -hmm. Mortality versus morbidity. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're sitting there talking about these kind of things, so as a as a physician, what we're trying to do right now is for myself, I'm like when I think about me working out and stuff, I think about my my personal trainer as my 80 year old self mm. saying, Don't do that. That that <laughs> that looks stupid. Agreed. Don't yeah, do no that. More, no more back squats. You're done. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can still do it. Still do I pretty it. much tell my trainer to, you know what, beat it. I'm, I'm going to try it anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, <I> hear you. <laughs> this guy next to me just did it. I'm sure I can do it. Loaded up six plates. <laughs> um, so, but it, it is interesting because right now I'm viewing everything as, well, I need to be healthy when I don't want to be in a situation. My, my whole, our whole message is brain gut. You have to, I believe that health begins and ends in the gut, and I believe that it affects the brain, and we have an epidemic of dementia and Alzheimer's happening. And so we're having this situation where um, a lot of people are losing their capabilities. So even if you wanted to have a long boat ride without an anchor, you forgot it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer in the boat, and you don't even probably own the boat. Someone stole it because you left the keys out. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah, we're seeing that a lot more frequently, um, as you guys probably have noticed an uptick in a lot of uh, what's called inflammation related diseases and those come into your brain. And then before you know it, it's, it's an epidemic. And 
that epidemic is going to work its way into the financial side. And we're starting to see the outcomes of that now. There's the link. That is fascinating. That is exactly because if I can help prevent some of that, it can help some of your clients down the road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we used to do um, part of our company was helping people with Medicare and it was crazy. Like the people that would come in that lived in more, um, let's call them like rural areas where they didn't have good access to food. They didn't have good access to, you know, good information around diet, their reaction time and their ability to process information and just how, how they could retain information, even in their mid sixties blew me away compared to other areas that were a little bit more affluent where, you know, they had access to food and that type of information. I mean, those people were, you know, whip smart and they were able to, you know, have dialogues and remember what we talked about. I was, I think it's going to be a really big problem in, it is now, but I think it's going to get worse. Uh, article just came out today. Bill and Melinda Gates are investing in a company to do microencapsulation of nutrients that can actually get through and be absorbed so they can just sprinkle it as a powder in amazing. third world countries to try and help with these sort of micronutrient deficiencies. Mm. Wow. Kind of that, that when I see, um, when I see stuff like that, when you guys are dealing with people, when you say, you know, what would be really cool is to work with clients that can leave a legacy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Being Bill Gates is probably pretty cool too. Yeah. It's his, Some his, days. Bill, his, Bill, if you're listening, we're open yeah. for business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like or subscribe. Yeah. yeah. Like or subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a big epidemic that's coming. I think Melinda, uh, I'm going to give him a thumbs up. Are we cool with this? <laughs> yeah. It's tough too with the uh, one last thing on care, the care part of the plan. Most financial plans don't even think about that. You know, they're thinking so much about right now. They're thinking about paying off debt and they're not looking at your families, your mom and dad or your mom down the road and how, you're right. The interesting thing is like you would think our industry would be um, proactive in solving their own financial challenges, right? You'd think if you're a financial advisor, I'm sure you have your estate planning done. I'm sure you have all of your insurances in line. I'm sure you do proper tax planning and, you know, you got your investment portfolio properly allocated. From my, um, you know, work in the You didn't say- Elvis collector plates, which is what 70% oh. of my portfolio is in. Well, I mean, you're a great investor, so I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, we can, can do that. you know, we can discuss the exception. that later. But you would think that financial advisors would be the probably the first one on the list to get their financial house in order. But it's interesting how many don't. Oh, know? really? Because I've been on the consulting side prior to starting my own firm and just having conversations with these folks and kind of looking through some of the the you know the numbers and things in their own practice. It's it's alarming how many people really don't do their own proactive financial planning, even if they're a financial planner, wealth manager. So I think it's. You know, if you're feeling any ha apprehension to like coming in and having those discussions, I mean, you're really not the only person like it's pretty common. I just realized that we share a common spot here, which is. Buy health insurance or prepare for the future. A lot of people have to make this choice. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I didn't even I didn't even think about that, that. um my parents' generation did not really prepare for the future, and it's not their fault. They were post-World War, or my dad was post-Korean War, and I don't know. It was just they didn't really plan, and so. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Social Security is, I mean, a lot of folks are just retiring, and all they have is Social Security and Medicare, and I mean, it's medical expenses are through the roof. I don't need to tell you guys this, so I'm curious to see how we were able to address this problem. I think there needs to be a big change in you know outcomes for folks um, on the health side because the health really drives your ability to either create or preserve wealth. Um, and the worse off the average American is from a health standpoint, the more they're gonna take from the system. And I just see that number keep going up and up and up. So. 
hopefully you guys can do good work and solve some problems. That's for- fascinating. I think that doctors and wealth managers need to be teaming up more, more. and figuring out how and be much more, much more transparent about everything. Absolutely, because even the way billing and all those things, there's so many things you can do now that are much more uh, better outcomes and better for the client. The one other last thing about our parents' generation that's really tough about it all is that they were also conditioned to be very closed. Not every one of them, but man, it's really hard to talk to like uh, a dad or a mom sometimes, and they don't always tell the children what they what they're doing with the money, and you try to help them or different things. It's uh, they're not super transparent. I don't know what it is, but it's a little I think, tough. I think each generation has their own challenges. I think, you know, the silent generation is just like very close to the vest. You're not getting any information from that generation. The baby boomers, it's kind of a hit, hit or miss. You know, some of them have done a great job with planning and others, you know, not so much. I think our generation, like the Gen X, Y, I would say Gen X is the type that is reluctant to ask for advice because they want to seem you know, like they're an expert, you know, Gen X is, what Gen ages? X is, uh, I don't know the exact age cuts, but I would say probably like Roughly. 37 to 50, something, oh, okay. early fifties. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is really just kind of a heuristic and this isn't like actual science or anything, but just my observation interacting with folks. And then I would say Gen Y has done a terrible job of just saving in general, you know, like it's more about living in the moment and travel and those types of Gen Y is 20 late. Oh, so this is, so it's Gen Y millennial millennial. Yeah. Gen X is, I think it's Gen Gen X. X, Okay. But I think each generation presents with their own set of challenges um, that need to be worked through. And that's what I've learned over time is as people walk in and we have conversations with them, probably similar to you guys, when you meet with patients, you kind of know generally what to expect and how to open up the dialogue and how to have questions to help them understand kind of the value of, you know, either good eating habits or good, you know, saving habits, depending on kind of the context that you're meeting them. You addressed a little bit, Patrick and Tim, uh, what it's like to have someone who now has a parent who's outliving or outliving the coverage that they thought they were going to live. So we're talking about the health span versus lifespan situation and whether or not, as you referenced, they're going to move back home. What about the way that things have changed in terms of inflation specific to people as they plan for college now? probably over the last 15 years. And we've seen reports probably over the last 10 where more and more people at the age of 18 don't tend to move out of the home. So in other words, how do people retroactively kind of back plan by coming and talking to you on how they can readjust finances? Because oftentimes the pride kind of plays into it. They're like, I don't want to look like I didn't plan for this. But the mm. truth is, it's okay to say, I didn't plan for this. Help me get out of this. How, how do y'all approach someone like that? So just so I'm clear and clarifying, it's someone who hasn't adequately planned for some of these expenses and then they're coming in and how do we kind of help them get through? Yeah, the environment's the changed. Where, whereas when, whenever I graduated, it was whether you're going to go to college or uh, service or you're just going to go and, and start your own business at 18, you, you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And over the last 15 years, more and more people Moving graduate the and they, they, they stay at home. It's very expensive. The rate of inflation, both for collegiate education, uh, is completely changed. I mean, my, my most expensive year uh, or semester was $1,500. Yeah. And yet that's obviously not going to happen anymore. I mean, I, I think it starts with just an acknowledgement that it's a trade-off. Right. So you, there's only so much money to go around and you need to rank your priorities. And if if you have people living in your home and that's taking away money that you could be putting towards your retirement, I mean, basically what you're saying is that right now s- supporting your kids and making sure that those types of expenses are met outranks the priority 
of saving for retirement and other goals that you may have in the future, but it starts with an honest conversation about what are your priorities? And it are, is someone else, whether you love them or not, are they hijacking the vision that you have for your life? And are you okay with that? And uh, I think that's really the first step. It's not really like, did you make good decisions or could you make better decisions? It's more, you know, here's where we're at. And it's not for good or for bad. This is the situation that we're in. Let's figure out what we want. And if we can figure out what we want, then we can figure out the best path forward. And I, I think to add on to that, for people that are starting to have kids or maybe have young kids and, you know, at some point they may be sending their kids off to college. Like, should they put money in a, you know, a savings plan for that? Should they not? I think a lot of it just comes down to, uh, you know, just being intentional about what your you want and then also, you know, what your, your kids may want too. Cause I, I think that college will eventually decrease in costs. I think there's going to be, you know, opportunities for people to learn skills and the workplace is rapidly changing it's getting more competitive um, in general to do business. So I think people are just going to be expected to have more skill sets in college right now. The, the structure of it doesn't really lend itself to that. So I think we're going to see a more dynamic learning environment, which should cut costs and be on average better for folks around the country. It's funny when you say to be saving that my, I, I joked about tennis, but I do have a really big tennis family. And I remember my son was eight years old and they brought in this um, consultant uh, from England to talk about growth in adolescence. Mm. And somebody actually asked, of the kids that you coach, how many of them went on to get a full ride scholarship? These are eight year olds. She lost it. She goes, here's a great idea. All the money you're doing spending on traveling, all the money you're doing spending on private lessons, everything, why don't you just put it in a college fund? There you go. Oh and I just goodness. went, oh my God, yeah, that's right. They're eight <laughs> and they're asking about college scholarships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> we are. I mean, completely misguided here. So, yeah, especially with the college system today, in a lot of ways, it's pretty broken. I mean, you definitely don't learn anything about real finance. You don't learn how to balance your budget. You don't learn about the tax code. You, you know, what if you happen to make it all the way through, be a star athlete in football, and get paid tons of money if you don't have a financial plan? Someone straight out of Austin not that long ago is a national champion uh, quarterback, has nothing to show for it, and netted. Ooh over 20 something million dollars so yeah. yeah i would say most athletes are just the deck is stacked because they have such a short career span and you get that rapid rise and they don't get good advice because the people giving them advice are the agents and it's a very kind of you it's know, an industry loan very, you're yeah. loaning it for a five seven ten right? year yeah. contract just like a the bond, way that it's structured and then it pays back this but the country yeah. it, it goes back to exactly what patrick said you have to be intentional you have to be intentional with what you want to do so if you want your kids to go to school, do something intentional and save for it. If you're going to make it all the way out, be intentional with this nice, this nice cash sum that you have because it's not going to last forever. And there's no guarantee that even if your kid's good enough that they're even going to want to play that sport when they get to school. Yeah, totally. You know, being intentional, because we're talking, we jumped right in and just started talking about all the stuff that we want to be excited about, which is health and finances and stuff. But the reality is, how in the world did you guys meet? How did you form SurePath? Let's let's get into the stories now. I mean, clearly you All guys right. clearly you guys know what you're doing. Clearly you have the best intention of your of your partners, your clients. Now I want to know how this thing even came about. How you how you it? built this? You it, I mean, um, I had, I'm from Boston. Uh, Pat's from Philly area, and I moved down to Texas in 2013, 2014. 
And so I had had a practice up in Boston and my family was down, ended up down here in Austin. And um, so I was going back and forth just to service those clients. And that was an incredible time. I, I was able to stay with some great families and um, uh, Finney Caravella and a bunch of people like that who I only bring up because he's disrupting education right now with Sattler College. Their tuition's five grand a year and it's a fully accredited college. Finney's a doctor and everything. He went to Harvard and and uh, MIT. But anyway, so I got to meet a lot of amazing people, build some incredible community and things. But during that time, when I would come back to Austin for a few weeks, I had a lot of downtime. I was going through a lot of family transition and things like that. So I started volunteering at a uh, prison. And um, every Tuesday morning for about two years, I would go down there. And, um, and it was like towards uh, about 18 months in, uh, one of the lead guys in the prison ministry's wife was a big financial advisor in town and she wanted to talk about working together. And I'm like, that'd be great kind of having my practice here. And so let's talk. So another new volunteer overheard us talking in prison and then we're walking into the actual prison to meet the, uh, the men in there that we would meet with every week. And the new guy's like, Hey, I heard you talking in the lobby. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I don't really network at prison. But I, uh, I will tell you, I uh, do a little finance and things. And then I walked up in the jumpsuit. Yeah, Pat, and then, so we just, Pat this was in a total sense why you guys felt comfortable fraud. stopping with me while I was holding yeah, the sign. Patrick you know, was in solitary confinement. We can, he was like, we can get this guy 10%, yeah. mate, come on. But anyway, long story short, uh, he said, you ought to meet my partner. We do some uh, Medicare things, and, and he's a great guy. He's a CFA and a CPA, and I'm like, Medicare, CFA, CPA, interesting. So yeah, I'll, meet, I'll absolutely meet with him. So the next day, I went and got a haircut. And uh, met with Pat, and we just really hit it off. We were, we were Whole Foods in Austin. It's about uh, coming up on February, so 2016. Did they had. give you a release? Did they you? Okay. temporary <laughs> release? I had to wear one of those weird. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was going to say, and I yeah. had like a guy behind me. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, so we we met there, and then uh, I think really just Pat was unwinding some other companies. He just moved back to Austin. He was doing some stuff back and forth in California, another wealth management firm, and uh, where I was at in life, where he was at in life, we started sharing some uh, clients and ideas. And before you know it, he's like, hey, man, uh, here are the new business cards, website, everything. I'm like, whoa, man, uh, okay, this is awesome. And I didn't realize that he was uh, as hard charging and together as he was. I mean, I knew he was, but it was pretty impressive to see what he had already built out. So I left my other practice and full time, we started InsurePath. That was July 1st of 2016. And so that's how we met and just a lot of good similarities in life. He's a bit nine years younger than me or so, but uh, about 20 years smarter than me. So it's a uh, it's really a good partnership. You know? That didn't prevent y'all from sharing some toilet wine. So that's pretty yeah, sweet. That's true. <laughs> yeah. true. So that's, that's my side. You might have a couple of little details in there, but I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's a great summary. I would say that, you know, what attracted us together, I think was just the, the different skill sets. So Tim is like great at meeting. Like if you're, if, if you're a physician and you go and meet someone and uh, if let's say Tim was a physician, he would walk into the room, he would, every person would like him like in like two seconds. They'd be like, Oh my God, I love my doctor. He's great. So Tim is great at building trust very quickly on the relational side. Um, I am more strategic and analytical. So I like to focus more on the practice and making sure that we're, you know, structuring everything correctly with like taxes and investments and financial planning and just better controlling the outcomes for folks and doing everything we can to deliver on our promise, which is to help them reach their goals. So it's just a great combination where, you know, I would, I get drained if I have to be in front of people like 10 hours a day, but Tim will be in front of people for 12 hours a day. And then he'll go talk to a fence post for another. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm aware of that, but it's just, uh, 
All right, seven, seven. <laughs> so true. Tim, you want to pull the splinters out or what? No, you got to go talk to this dandelion. <laughs> One in the morning, Pastor. Are you really going out with that guy? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's a good dude. Okay, so a great story about Tim is when the last time we were all together, we were uh, listening to live music. Remember, Tim took off to go to a friend's wedding up, up in Boston. In Boston in that community. Which shows, yeah. which, which crazy? in what? itself just shows total loyalty. Total which loyalty to your friends because you left it, that Matthew. morning to go. Yeah, what's up, Matthew? Don't know you, but I know this guy <laughs> loves you because he left early in the morning from Salt Lake. And then suddenly he appears late night while we we're listening uh, to uh, Christian Mills Band, right? Yep. yep. And then. They were doing a Stones cover, I think. Yeah, yeah Tim rolls up with his uh, with his beanie on, and then uh, very well. Wait, well, let's let's go ahead and paint the picture a little bit better. It's on the top a of mountain. a mountain. Yeah, uh, the very top mountain. of a mountain. Powder Barely mountain. breathe. Yeah, yeah. high altitude yeah. sickness potential. And much like Ron Burgundy, here comes yes, uh, flute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was also kind of set up in I'm a way that the, the, the top of the mountain had like different camps. So if you want to be down at the campfire, if you want to be at the live music. So I was kind of hanging out of the live music for most of the night. And then I just heard it as I was walking by. And it was loud. I mean, you could hear the on top of the mountain, but it was. Yeah. So then I'll stop talking. You know what? I'm going to disagree with that, because basically I saw your Uber barely make it up to the top mountain and you jumped out. You're like, I told you to wait till I got here. (laughs) (laughs) You pulled your your harmonica out of your sleeve. Mm -hmm. You did jam, though. Do you have your harmonica on you? You know, I left it in the car. So, Can we yeah. go get it yeah. while we're sitting here talking just a little keep bit? Mic on, you're good. Yeah, oh, just yeah? go ahead and wear the Even mic. Even if it's uh, turned on. Yeah, don't go, don't go pee or anything and pull oh, a actually, uh, naked gun move. Ooh. I got you muted. Take it back. <laughs> All right, while we're sitting here waiting, let's talk personal stuff. Like, what's what's going on? Like, the uh, wife married? Yep, married. Uh, my wife is Brazilian, so we met about. 10 years ago, um, she is, uh, you know, she, she was a crazy story. I wish she was here to tell it, but she, uh, she started as a, a babysitter. She flew over from Brazil, was going to school here. So she was in the au pair program and I grew up in Philadelphia. You know, it's, we all look the same in Philly, like, you know, <laughs> and then I'm out for my 23rd birthday and I'm like, well, I had a couple of drinks, so, you know, a little bit stronger than hop tea <laughs> and I look around and I'm like, you look a lot different than everybody else. So I walk up to her and, you know, I'm 23 years old. So I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And she's like, couldn't speak English at that time. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to her and she's like, I can't speak English. And I'm like, that's okay. You know, did you ask her, can you not speak English or am I just really drunk? Yeah, I think it was a combination, (laughs) (laughs) but no, she really couldn't speak at that point. Um, and I was like, Hey, can I get your number? Like, can I get you a drink? And she's like, no, she totally shut me down. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go then. So I, I accidentally, um, or coincidentally, rather, ran into her three months later at another uh, place, like forty-five minutes away, and she recognized recognized me at that point, and she could speak. So that's the, that was the beginning of our relationship. So, um, and she went from that to being like the head of sales for um, a tech startup in uh, in Austin. So she covers like all of Latin America and is always like kind of in the air and manages a team of uh, sales professionals and blows me out of the water um every time she posts to cabo man that'd be a great know, trip be amazing guys, but. every time she posts on linkedin like i do a lot of social media stuff like i have a podcast i do videos and i post something i get like 12 likes my wife posts one thing it's like 274 likes i'm like what <laughs> how do i how do i capture some of this start this she's just a great theme. woman awesome awesome yeah, person no she's she's fantastic no kids yet so we're, we're planning on that soon um and i live in austin texas so I've been there for ever since I moved to Philadelphia, from Philadelphia, really. So I've been there for about 10 years. How do you guys like Austin? 
We love it. Yeah. Not probably not going to move, honestly. I mean, it's yeah. one of the, one of the things like we're, we're in an industry in wealth management, wealth management industry where I feel like it's important to be part of the community and like have a physical presence so that we can actually meet with folks. So I, I do believe that being in Austin is important uh, for our business, but I also really just like it. You know, it's a great, great city. To- I saw the address. Are you guys actually in Georgetown? Is that where your physical office is? We have a that- Round Rock off location. We're actually getting a, hopefully a new office here soon, yeah, like yeah. this week or next week. We're, we're potentially moving uh, spaces down towards downtown. So we have a couple oh, of satellite cool. offices and, you know, but we're getting a main nice. kind of hub, which will be yeah. fun. Yeah. Nice yep. place. You'll have to come down. We're hoping to have a nice little setup like this. That's awesome. Hey, what was the song that you played? Oh, it was uh, it was a Rolling Stones song. And uh, truth be told, I don't play harmonica regularly. I just happen to have it in that bag because when we were in Croatia, yeah. Yeah, the okay. acoustic, that's what it looked like. The acoustic guy in Croatia was playing a lot of really pretty songs, and I was like, "Man, I wish I brought my harmonica." Because I know I didn't bring mine too. So I said, "I'll bring mine to the next event." So I had it with me, and I didn't know if he was going to be playing. It was Christian Mills, and there was the other guy with the longer hair. Um, you weren't there. You weren't in Croatia. So that's why I brought it. So I just had it where on did me. You, for that. Where did you get the tombstone-style hidden gun thing where you do like a little spring loader and you went, bing? Did just, I do that? Yeah. Oh, when I did. pulled it out? Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, I was talking to Christian, you know, as musicians speak. You just kind of, I'm not really a big musician, but I was looking at him. And I was like, and I held up my harmonica, and I just pulled it out. And then when I went up there. You know, if you play that, we can't. Uh... It won't. We only play it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. You but, can't um, just play other people's. I was gonna. I was gonna play the same song. Let you kind of yeah, rock on. It was the Stones. What was what song is it? It was. Um, I forget the. the it name wasn't the "Give Me Shelter." No, it was. Um, Are you able to do that? Yeah, inverted yield curve. Yeah, be you. Yeah. What well, inverted? I was just gonna say. What I want to do is hear a little. I want to hear a little harmonica. Cool. And one one of the unique things that we have here in this studio is we've got a whiteboard. Ooh. And I want to ask, I just want to draw out something that is typically kind of hard for People somebody. Some, so I'm just a simple country butt doctor from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, if I could see it on a whiteboard, and one of the things one of the things you were talking about it during the lecture was this inverted yield thing. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I'll so, give a little intro for the inverted yield. Yeah. So let me go ahead and set that up. This thing's kind of a little old, so. Set up music here yeah, by yeah, Mr. Tim saying. Power. I don't really. Oh, there's no reason to stop. We're well, yeah. It's just maybe. now <laughs> I pulling the curtain back. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with if that at all. If the music's playing, I can jump in. I play a lot better Welcome just on my own. It's a little harmonica's a little isolated. Yeah. AM radio yeah. with Tim Power. Yeah. <laughs> that harmonica means the whiteboard's maybe coming out. Higher up than I thought. The air was a little thin, and uh, all of us were like, "That's the best harmonica." Oh, ever well, really with the band like the Christian Mills, it was it was just a no brainer. So I knew I could get up there and just play anything, and it would sound okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to throw it to either guy, but it's kind of interesting because inverted yield. I was trying to it's talk weird, to. Right? Yeah, it is super weird. So we got some markers here. Gonna I'm going to bring a camera. Tim, Tim, you can narrate while you draw, and then Pat. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, Pat, you can narrate. So Tim, uh, do you want to narrate or draw? Who's going to draw? Yeah, whatever. And I'm just going to move. You just move your chair. Out. I got the cordless mic, sure. The director's chair. The director's chair. <laughs> and I might move that a little too. It's the first time we're trying to move. There we go. You get that okay? Good enough? Good enough. All right. We're going to do a whole little lecture on inverted yield and why this is important to understand that so that uh, as we're looking at investments. You can just draw kind of a... 
vertical horizontal guy and uh so you're gonna do time time over here and interest over there yeah so time interest rate. time is going to be on this x-axis and the interest is going to be on, on the y, y the vertical so generally um just to kind of set the stage here because this is actually a fairly complicated topic these guys gave us absolutely no heads up on the inverted yield curve <laughs> but usually what you would expect <laughs> as you uh, go out um, over time that you would be compensated by increased rates. So for example, let's say a bank was going to lend you um, money and they were going to lend you for um, you know 15 years, right? Versus a year. M imagine, um, actually, let me back up. So imagine you were going to lend someone money and, in, and you could lend them uh, an amount, let's call it $100,000 for a year, or you could lend them $100,000 for 15 years. Um, Imagine why would so why would you ever lend them a hundred thousand dollars for fifteen years if you got a lower rate of interest than if you could lend for one year, right? So the weird thing about an inverted yield curve is it's exactly that you you can lend in the short term for higher rates than you can lend uh, in the long term. So if you think about it from uh, an investor's perspective, there's really no reason to take any risk. There's no reason to go out and lend for 10, 15, 20, 30 years out on the, the x-axis because you're not compensated for doing that. Risk and return are generally related. So what you would expect is if you're going to lock up your capital and you're going to lend for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you're not going to see that back for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to want a higher interest rate. But what happens with an inverted yield curve is you actually get a lower interest rate, which is counterintuitive. So it's the market generally signaling that interest rates are expected to fall in the future. Um, so where, where does that signal come from? This is where I'm yeah. confused. So the, it, the way that markets price interest rates or securities, um, it's kind of, there's a, there's a number of factors, right? So there's supply and demand. There's people coming to the market and saying, I want to lend um, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to lend and other people saying, I want to borrow, right? So part of that is going to drive the interest rate. So supply and demand. The other thing is market forces, right? So um, you've got things like quantitative easing that have happened. You've got, um, you know, just fluctuations in, um, you know, how, how liquid capital is and how money available supply. it is, money supply. Uh, so there's a lot of factors that could potentially go into the shapes of the yield curve. Um, but there's really no explanation that is 100% accurate to say how the yield curve is going to shift or change. It's very, very hard to predict changes in the yield curve. So really the only thing that you can do is act based on the information that's available to you. And what this yield curve that Tim has so beautifully drawn up here tells me as an, an investment manager is uh, I'm not going to take, it's called term risk. There's really no reason for me to go out and take term risk because I'm not compensated for it. I'm not willing to lend for 10 years for 1%. I'd rather lend for, or 10 years for 1%. I'd rather lend for one year and maybe get three to four, right? There's, there's no reason for me to take that, that bet. Um, and the, the interesting thing is uh, yield curves, if you look at the data, um, they can also have some predictive power as far as how financial markets are going to go. This is, a, this is a, uh, a, a bad sign. Generally, an a, a inverted yield curve yeah, is so, a bad sign. So we have an inverted yield, and I just sold my business, yep. and somebody just gave me a check for $10 million. Okay. And I walk up to you and I say, Patrick, Tim, I want you guys to help me manage my money. Here's $10 million. What do we do? Ooh. This is, uh, I mean, so it starts with figuring out what you want, 
right? So this is where that process comes in. Like if anyone gives you an answer to that question without first doing a deep dive and saying like, what do you want? Do you want to start another business? Like, where are you going? So all these, this is like a multi-meeting process, but let's say we arrive and we figure out what your willingness to take risk is and what your ability to take risk is. Those are two different things. So we, we decide, we come up with a plan. We yep. realize that we have a great, um, a great basis. I've got a great foundation. Yep. We're now ready to build. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. I'm not ready to start another business. I have this money. I, I want to put it in the market. Yeah. What do we do with this curve? With that curve. So you would take virtually no interest rate risk or term risk. So what you would do, um, and there's another curve that you want to look at, and it, it basically the credit spread. So you'd want to see, um, you know, are you being compensated for taking credit risk? Because credit risk is different than interest rate risk. So we would look at a couple different factors to determine what your, your fixed allocation would be. Um, and the credit spreads might say, well, you know, we're actually being fairly well compensated for taking credit risk, but we're not really being compensated for taking interest rate risk. Let's build a portfolio of, you know, medium quality corporate bonds that have really low, uh, you know, duration or term exposure, right? Really short term. And, you know, a portion of your portfolio could be allocated that way, right? Uh, the other thing is, you know, what's your income? Because your, you know, your wife may be earning a huge income and it makes more sense for you to be maybe in a municipal bond portfolio. Right. So you have to consider that because municipal bonds, they produce tax free income. So a lot. And, and in, in addition to that, you have access to lots of other asset classes. So, you know, you you may not have any bond exposure at all in this environment. You know, if you have legacy goals and your income needs are covered, you know, maybe maybe this is allocated to real estate and, you know, public markets and, and the stock market. So it could go a number of different ways. But the way I would use this information to build a portfolio is I would say, okay, first, how much money needs to be in the bond market, right? So that's the first decision. Like what percentage of your assets should be in the bond market relative to all other asset classes? And then from there, how much should be invested um, in, uh, you know, or, or where should it be invested based on the available bonds and your, your goals and tax preferences? So at a high level, with that curve, short term, and then the other considerations will be around credit exposure and uh, also tax preferences. No, that's really in depth. And obviously, just to reiterate, you're saying if somebody comes to you and has an instant answer, more than likely, are they not only interested in your future and what it is that you want? I think a good cut on people's ability to advise you in general is you draw an inverted yield curve and ask them to explain anything about what that is. Well, I, I, <laughs> I did not. That is that is the naivety of like like I'm I'm usually scared when I give lectures. If yeah. I give it to med students and below, because they ask the hard questions, they just raise their hand and go, yeah, oh, yeah. how? You're yeah. like, oh, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there was a way to predict movements in the yield curve, like it would be, you know, you would start to see a lot more active bond managers outperform. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just, it's interesting. It's kind of like the stock market, right? You don't know. The, it's very hard to guess what's going to happen in the future, right? Because the market is essentially one of the most efficient pricing <clears throat> mechanisms in the world because it's taking into account supply and demand factors. It's taking into account all public information because people make trades on public information. And what sets the price is people coming together in an arm's length transaction and agreeing that this is a fair value because for every buyer, there's a seller. So for every person that loans money, there's somebody who's borrowing money. For every person that buys a stock, there's somebody else selling a stock. So that's what ultimately sets the price and creates those curves. And all, and all that is, is really just you know, what are we pricing these bonds at relative to what people are going to pay for them? And that's what really creates the yield curve. It's people basically telling the markets that I'm not really willing to take any 
level of term risk right now. It feels very uncertain uncertain for me to lock, lock my money up. My up. Money, and it yeah. could be that there's a lot of people that have are basically pushing the price of these bonds down because they are they're worried about what could happen. So this could be a signal. It could be people being you know overly scared about you know, the direction of the markets and and they've kind of bid up the price of, of these bonds and pushed interest rates down. So there could be a lot of different things that are driving this. And, you know, there's hundreds of academic, you know, white papers and research papers that address these topics. I think what a lot of people don't realize with investing is it's very, very heavily researched and studied. Um, so it's really not, you know, a, be, a beginner's game to like start kind of picking and choosing things. That's why I always, when people say, oh, I pick stocks, it's like, oh man, I feel sorry for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. one, one thing I was thinking when we had this pie chart up there too, Ken, is, is that people undervalue what their business is when it comes in comparison to all their other investments. They, they know this is an investment and they'll say it all the time. We meet with them like, oh, my business is my retirement plan or my business is my big investment. But they actually don't have a current valuation. They've never done that. So they're guessing or they're leaving it up to other advisors to do the guesswork. So we strongly recommend this as a foundation for all our business owners to start with this. And then this can inform their other advisors because like with us, we don't always control all parts of the relationship, right? They might have another CPA they love, an, an attorney they love, a financial guy they love, but they still want our guidance. So we don't want to ruin those other relationships. But if we start with a solid business valuation, that immediately wins trust with their CPA and their tax attorney. And then it make, they're like, who are these guys that put that together? And they're like, that is legit. And we have a master appraiser that is, does these. So it's pretty amazing. But then once you know this, that can better inform your decisions on how much you want to tie up other monies into other things. I know you were talking yeah. about the sale of a business, mm. but at least this can help you prepare a little bit better. And a lot of business owners don't have that. So that's actually incredible information. And I don't want to put you on the spot before no, we end late. up wrapping this yeah. uh, podcast up. But <laughs> too late. There's a different, there's another graph too. And that, I'm just going to go on record again. I didn't know enough about that to realize it was no, a complex question. I could, no, no, I could go, I could go. As deep and he as could go on. You hit like a, a green I, man button. It's hard, it's harder for me to make it simple than to go into all the yeah, weird yeah. stuff about it. So, well, then, then the next one should be a little bit more simple, at least I yeah. think, but it's the CCWF value graph. Have y'all ever done that? Collectible Civil War figurine graph. <laughs> Because on that, that's a big piece of we've got a lot of Civil War figurines around my house oh my that goodness. have been passed down from generation to generation. And what I would like to so know funny. is, is uh, you know, that we, we've got two Stonewall Jacksons. We've got uh, uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Grant. Uh, I mean, it's these are important for us because yeah. we've thought about trading some of those in just yeah. for some grunts or whatever. And we, you, you don't know. Yeah. And so the graphs like this help us out. And uh, so figure out how to price that amazing <laughs> figurine. If I could find out a little bit more about the valuation we have on Autron Teal and KBMD, then maybe I would yeah. know where to put a little bit more. Big about. time. Yeah. And it also informs the decision. Once you have a valuation, that numbers, it sets in a little differently than just grinding every single day. So, I mean, if you're a physician, you're building your practice, maybe you have a couple other investment interests and you're like, oh man, I need to really work hard. And it's like, well, what if all your companies were worth $40 million and you could find a buyer that was vertically integrated that would buy it in like three months? Would that change your your appetite for risk, would that change your, your perspective on kind of what you're doing every single day? So I think the valuation, what we've seen is it just provides a more specific kind of number for them to make those decisions. Well, I also, think that's awesome, but let's just, I just got instant messaged. Oh yeah. Eric has a Stonewall Jackson. That's well, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm, I, it's, it was purchased, I think for uh, 28 95 back in 1988. Wow. I know. 
It, we're really excited. You're like, you're like the coolest guy in this podcast. Yeah, no, well, we're yeah. almost up to 34 Listen, bucks. I do not. I was just going to say, it, it's almost. It was 33.98. <laughs> you just got offered. You made you made a profit. eBay is awesome. Well, <laughs> one other thing about doing the valuation, too, is like you might meet with a business owner and they're still in an S-corp because it was more convenient for them to do that, more tax efficient when they were younger. Now they've blown up to a multi-million dollar company and they want to sell it. And then the buyer's like, whoa, 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 you're an S-corp. Like, we have to unwind a lot of stuff here to do that sale. So you want to make sure that you're preparing for an exit if that's your strategy early on. So a lot of what we do is a lot of that kind of stuff, too. It's so you guys have, it's, under one under one roof, uh, some legal consultants yep. that you work with. You have tax. Tax, investments, insurance. Um, we can't legally give investment advice as a, as a registered investment advisor, but we have an attorney that is moving into our office to be able to provide that as a service to our clients. They just have, we have to bill separately for we it. We can guide a little, but we can't yeah, actually give Yeah, it's legal. more just a structure of it, less on the actual drafting of the documents. Um, we have people that help with budgeting. We have people that help with, you know, if you're getting older, Social Security, Medicare, pretty much any transition that someone would go through financially or would, would requ require a, a level of expertise. You know, we've tried to insource that as much as possible because it's hard to control the outcomes with outsourcing because, you know, our business, you think about it, helping someone reach their financial goals is really just an exercise in good project management and kind of prodding them along, right? Like once you have yeah. the expertise, it's making sure that they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing as in the same similar to your profession somebody shows up and you're like hey man you got to cut out the Just pizza you that. got like a you got a, an allergy um to dairy and they're like man i'm just gonna keep eating pizza <laughs> like, yeah. all right well well then you gotta i have to make sure that we put plastic covers on all our waiting room chairs every time you come <laughs> to the office because well so uh best way for people to connect with the uh, sure path uh, I would say visit our website. It's www.surepathwealth.com, S-U-R-E, pathwealth.com. Um, you can also Facebook and LinkedIn, but I would say the website is probably a good first step. And Patrick, yeah. you Tell also, us, you also oh, go ahead. Just, I'm going to say the same thing you are. Go ahead. All, you also host your own podcast in the I name do. of it. I do. It's called the, uh, the Model FA. It's a little bit more industry focused because I also do industry consulting. We're actually launching our own uh, you know, consumer focused podcast in about two weeks. Um, so that's going to be for business owners. Um, could be some positions yeah, on there. Love to have you guys on that. Um, That'd be great. But yeah, so the podcast that I host is called The Model FA. Terrific. That's awesome. Tim? Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, oh, to get in touch with uh, me? No, yeah, yeah. Do you have that. anything special um, that you do? I mean, uh, if, if, I mean um, if anybody wants to book you as a harmonica player in their bar mitzvah or a wedding or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I'd say that's probably the best use. No, I mean, honestly, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my role mainly in the firm is just staying in touch with folks and getting them aligned with the right people. I, I understand enough of it all to, to hold my hold my own, but I, I don't get as much into the weeds, the planners and things. So it's like we have folks that help out a lot with the. I may have misinterpreted the story earlier, but you do some fence work as well. Is that true? <laughs> do I? Do he just talks to fence posts. Yeah, um. <laughs> no, I do a little painting on the side, you know, like landscape stuff and things. Tim, um, Tim's just being humble. He's like he's got a. 15 year background in estate planning and insurance and structuring like complex tax deals. And yeah, so I'll speak on Tim's behalf because he's being humble right now. <laughs> well, this is a fantastic for y'all to drive all the way up oh, and hang yeah. out with us all day. I loved it, man. Thank Thanks, you so much guys. for the invite. Well, I mean, clearly, awesome. uh, and this is now I feel a little bit better because what you were just getting into and everything we talked about, I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't know that because oh. I. We we all only have so much bandwidth. There's no way I can learn my no, profession. Please don't. You and pretend like I know here. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody's, you guys are experts in your field. Clearly. Yeah, if we sucked, we wouldn't have known the answer to that one at all. So <laughs> I almost for fun want to have set up another episode. <laughs> have another. And have another advice. I mean, you got to come on this podcast. Call it yield curve. Inverted curve. Inverted yield curve. We're just going to draw one up there. Yeah, and talk except about... next time we have you back, we're going to have to dumb it down. You're going to be on that side with sock puppets describing <laughs> yes. inverted yeah. yield. Yeah. yeah, I should. I, I should well, do that. There we are. Oh, it's because I don't have my iPhone anymore, right? Oh, Sorry, nice. Georgia. So, uh, Tim said goodbye to the smartphone. Oh, yeah. Where is phone. it? Oh, where yeah, is it? If you, guys, if you guys listen to episode 21. Yes, 21. With, episode uh, Jeremy 21 Kinder. with Jeremy Kinder. We did CBD right, takeout. Yeah, we it. opened the show talking about this guy, how much of a boss he was because he had his phone stolen when he was visiting. <laughs> And he switched and has stuck to it for what a good seven month? weeks, yeah, maybe six weeks now. I nice. think, yeah, a flip phone, and he's loving it. Explain to everybody why you're digging the whole flip phone. Yeah, thing. so it's I definitely didn't start out to make any kind of statement. Um, Georgia, oh, sorry, my daughter just called uh, by accident. I answered the phone because that's one of the things. The features on the smartphone on the flip phone is when someone calls, no matter what, if you open it, it's open. You're on. on so that's yeah. what I just did to my daughter, and I just hung up on her at the same time. But yeah, I was up waiting for <laughs> hey. you guys to go out to dinner. Uh, put a little my, therapy will take care of that in a few years. It's uh, all good. Yeah, It'll be okay. I put Daddy, my uh, put my phone down at a at a happy hour real quick at the hotel right in Frisco and turned around to get some more iced tea. Came back and my phone was missing. So I was about to go out to dinner with you and your wife in about twenty minutes. So I knew I had to just keep it cool and things. And the next morning I just got a flip phone. And in the thirty hours I went without my smartphone, I started to taste. Uh, th- flavors again and see colors that I hadn't seen in about 10 years when I first got my smartphone. So uh, I was like, I actually like this. I wonder if there's a way to just use my flip phone and then I'll get an, an iPad to do all my like elect- you know stuff that I need to keep uh, count on and things and do FaceTime with my kids and what have you. So the next day, the reason why I waited one day is because the next day after it got stolen was the iPhone 11 was coming out. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get a new phone if the next day I'll just go use the insurance money and get that. I did have insurance. You always want to do that an eight dollar insurance policy on it and it paid me back the cost of this iphone x so i bought a smart uh a tablet or an ipad the next day and for about six seven weeks now i've been on that system so i love it but everyone trying to get in touch with me hates it so it's been no it's uh it's got some limitations for sure but i think the amount of energy space creativity focus in the moment that i've gotten Mm. back far outweighs the extra second i might have to put the navigation into my gps and things I describe the story much differently, so I'm tuning to episode 21 <laughs> yes. where I give my third-party interpretation of it. Yeah, that's good. Well, a shout-out to uh, CBD Takeout. You can still use KBMD10 for 10% off at CBD Takeout uh, for any of their products that they have there. Of course, go to lovemytummy.com forward slash Spoonie. Use code Spoonie to save some money. Of course, go to kbmdhealth.com for, uh, for your own CBD. And- One other thing we were talking about, I was thinking, you know, we do have our... Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Box. We have the KBMD Health subscription box where we deliver vetted supplements, which actually make a difference in your life. And we were talking before we started the show, I'm like, you guys can write a little copy and put it in here. And we can send it out to all of our subscribers. So not cool. only are we taking care of their gut, but we're going to start doing some cool stuff like this, like maybe a little synopsis on insurance or how to use your HSA better, how to use yeah. your HSA better, yeah, anything like sure. that. Yeah. So this is thinking. what this is what we love about like-minded people getting together. You guys making the effort to come up, do the podcast, love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Guys. Appreciate it. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Hopefully yeah, it was valuable. Sure. Right on. Well, that's yeah. episode twenty-three. Thanks for checking in the Gut Check Project. Check us out. We'll talk to y'all soon. Take care. Take care.